You're listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby, Director of Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. All right, good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Musser Masterclass, Series 1.2. It is a thrill to be here with all of you. Uh, we have a nice crowd here in person, a, a nice crowd online, and it really is a special time for us to learn and really perfect our traits. Now, this time between Pesach and Shavuot is a very auspicious time because our sages tell us that these are the 50 days leading up from Passover to receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. It was 50 days when the Jewish people left Egypt all the way till we stood at the foot of Mount Sinai. It was 50 days. And these were 50 days that were perfect timing to become a vessel that could receive the Torah. Torah is not an intellectual challenge. That's not the purpose of Torah. Torah needs to have a vessel within which it can live. Our vessel is our character, our midot. And if our character isn't up to par, then the Torah doesn't have a vessel to live in. That is the purpose. That is the goal of working on our character, working on our traits. It's to perfect the vessel so that the Torah can reside in it. Our sage has dedicated these 50 days leading up to Shavuot as special time to work on our traits. And every day, our sages would take one trait and work on it. One trait at a time. Not to rush. So we're going to talk about one trait tonight. And this is a very special trait to me. It's the trait of kindness. There are many names that you can call it. But we'll give it the Hebrew name of chesed. What is the trait of chesed? Kindness. So uh, let's go to what we always talk about in all of our traits. is going to the root of the word. What is the root of the word chesed? Chesed comes from the word chas. Chas means to be concerned for. When someone is concerned for another person, you know the Torah tells us, Torah in Deuteronomy brings a verse, and it says that a person should do acts of kindness, I'll bring you the verse right inside. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 8. Rather, you shall surely open your hand to him. You shall surely lend him sufficiently, sufficiently for his need. Whatever is lacking to him. That's a verse, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 8. What is lacking to him. Do you know? Someone comes over to you and says, can you spare a dollar? I I need to go eat something. What is he lacking? He's lacking food. He's lacking a lot more than just money. He's lacking a job. He's lacking a place to live, most likely. Demachsoro means getting into what the lacking of that person is. I'll give you an example. I think we spoke about this example in one of the recent classes. So excuse me for for the repetition. But... There was a man who once came to the rabbi right before Pesach, right before the Seder. And he says to the rabbi, is it okay if I drink four glasses of milk instead of four glasses of wine? 
We know we're supposed to have the four cups of wine. Yes, is it okay if I have the four glasses of milk instead? So the rabbi says, hold on a second. He goes to his office and he comes back and he gives him an envelope with money. His wife says, what are you giving him an envelope with money? Just answer his question. He asked the question, is milk okay as a substitute for wine? Rabbi says, if he's asking that, it means he doesn't either have money for meat. It means he's a poor person. And if he's a poor person, I'm not going to give him enough money for wine. I have to give him also enough money for meat. That is De Machsor. You're understanding, you're listening to what's really going on. Many times we think that kindness is what I am willing to do. Now, I may not be able to fulfill the other person's need. I may not be able to. In fact, the example given in Rashi on that verse, on the comment, in, in the commentary of Rashi, he says the most incredible thing. He says, even, imagine like this, okay, we have two people. One person, very simple lifestyle, and would take public transportation, and that's the norm of how he lives his life. You have another individual who was the CEO of a big Fortune 500 company, and he lost his job, lost his home, lost his, his Bentley, or his, you know, his uh, Rolls Royce, his chauffeur, and now he needs to ride in public transportation. Which one is lacking more? They're both human beings. But you realize that one was used to a lifestyle that now is lacking severely. You know what it means to do kindness? The first level, understand what they're lacking. It doesn't mean that you have to fulfill it. I can't fulfill that. There's no way that I can get him his Bentley and no way I can get him his fancy house in River Oaks and there's no way I can, I can get him a new uh, private jet. But I can at least understand and I can feel the pain of his lacking. That's the first step in kindness. Understand what someone else is going through. So the root word of chas for chesed, which is kindness, is concern. Have concern for someone else. Once you have concern, everything else is, is easy to, to solve. But feel what they're going through. So where does this trait come from? You know, one of the sages, when they saw the destruction of the temple, they said, Oi, look, our temple is gone. We no longer have a place for our atonement. Where are we going to bring our offerings? So the other sages said, no, the Jewish people will have another place for atonement. That's the acts of kindness that they do. When we do proper acts of loving kindness, our sages teach us, it's as if we've brought an offering. It's an atonement for us. So where does this trait really come from? Where do we learn kindness from? We learn it from the Almighty. We learn it from God. Just as the Almighty is compassionate, just as the Almighty is kind, just as God is compassionate, God is kind, so do we need to act in a kind way. So do we need to be compassionate, etc., etc. Our job is to emulate God. That's our job. God is kind. We need to learn to be kind as well. And in what way is God kind? You know, it's an amazing thing. 
we talked about walking into the supermarket and seeing the coloring book of God. You see the fruits and vegetables. You ever wonder? But you know, we say a blessing after after we eat a meal. We say in the Birkat Amazon, in the grace after meals, the most incredible blessings, thanking God. One of the things that we say, that God gave us all, all goodness. But you know how God gave it to us? Bechein bechesed uverachamim. Bechein with grace, bechesed with kindness, uverachamim with compassion. You understand that every one of our fruits didn't have to taste unique. They didn't need to smell a unique scent, aroma. They didn't need to feel a different texture. But if you if you realize every single fruit on planet Earth has a different smell, has a different shape, has a different color, that's unique. God could have made the superfruit. It's all black. It's a square, boring. You go to the store and you get your two superfruits and you're good to go. And it gives you all the nutrition. No, no, no. God wants you to have the beautiful bananas and the peppers and 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 every single fruit and vegetable is special. It's unique. You know why? It's like for Mother's Day, I told my children, I want you to go buy balloons for mommy. And when I buy her flowers, I don't just go buy flowers. I'm standing over there like I'm some, you know, green thumb specialist here. I'm looking which flowers looks the best and which shade and what color, right? And everything, which is the freshest. Why? Because when you're expressing love, it's not just it's not just a simple thing. When you're expressing love, you want it to articulate your expression. You want it to be the most beautiful possible. When God expresses his love, which is with his kindness, how does he do it? In the most beautiful manner. Every fruit that you look at should tell you, it should, it should sing in your ears, I love you, signed, God. And every time you look at a beautiful sunset, it should say, I love you, God. Because God doesn't need to give it to us. Sunsets do not need to be that beautiful. Why does God give it to us? Because he loves us. He's kind to us. He's gracious. He's compassionate. And that's what we are trying to do. One of the reasons that we need to emulate God, you know, in the beginning of the Torah, when it talks about God creating mankind, it says, and Hashem created man in his image, in the image of God. That's our job, to be the image of God. Throughout the, cre- throughout the existence, after Adam and Eve, our job is to be the image of God. That when someone looks at us, they're like, oh, that's the image of God. Look, they're acting God-like. And that's our responsibility. So let's understand, you know, on a very simplistic way, if we were talking about the act of kindness, we would just talk about different things we can do. Volunteer for the, uh, for the, uh, uh, for the homeless shelter and volunteer for the uh, Meals on Wheels 
and volunteer visit at the, uh, at the old age home and do things like that. Is that the only way we can do acts of kindness? So acts of kindness come in amazing ways every single day in our lives. The first way it happens is in our home. Kindness begins at home. It's the people you live with. It's your spouse. It's your children. It's your parents. It's your neighbors. It's your friends. Of course, it's with yourself as well. You have to take care of yourself. But kindness is not necessarily what we do. It's how we do. It's not necessarily what you do. It's how you do. An example for that, you know, in the blessing that Jacob gives his children, it talks about Yisachar Chamor Gorim. It talks about Yisachar, that he is like a donkey. A donkey carries a burden. And then he talks about, uh, you know, it talks about different animals and it compares them to their hard work and to their, to their uh, virtues. And when it talks about the donkey, it says, Luben Its teeth are white from milk. It actually reminds me of a story the Talmud says it's about always finding the good. So this a rabbi, great one of the great Tanaic sages, was walking with his students in a forest, and there was a, a terrible odor, a terrible odor. So the students see, oh, there is a stinky carcass of a donkey. But the rabbi said, but look at its beautiful white teeth. You can see the, the stench. You can smell the stench, right? You can, and you can, you can express it because you see it, right? Or you can see the positive. It's just a side note. Our sages tell us, you know, the white teeth, what is this talking about? Our sages are teaching us a very important message or lesson here. And that is that when a poor person comes to your house, more than they need the glass of milk, which is the charity that you give them, you give them food to eat, you give them something of sustenance, they need to see the white of your teeth. They need to see the smile, see your heart, your love. And I try to to act this way. When we have people collecting charity from all over the world, they knock on our door, I always have them sit down. Come sit down. And sometimes they're like, I have to run, I have to run. I'm like, okay, you don't have to sit down, but you're welcome to. Come, have something cold to drink or something hot to drink, whatever it is that they want. And 99.9% of the time, they ended up, end up sitting there and like, oh, I needed this. I needed to just stop a second. I needed to talk to someone. I needed to get a cold drink. I need, and, it, you know, oh, can I use your restroom? Suddenly, you know, they realize that they need to be human as well. And it's a good thing to remind them that. But more than people need the dollar or the $20 that you're going to give them, they need the smile. They need to know that someone really loves them and cares about them. You know, they say that finding someone a job, uh, giving someone fish will feed them for an hour, but teaching them how to fish will feed them for a lifetime. Right? Giving someone a job, introducing someone. Oh, you need a job. Let me help you. Let me network for you. Let me introduce you to someone. That can do much more than just here's a handout. Nobody wants a handout. You know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, Rabbi Dessler, the great Rabbi Dessler, he has a very famous uh, booklet 
on kindness. It's called Kutrasa Chesed. The, the, uh, I would say the notes on Chesed, on acts of kindness. And he says there are two types of people. There are givers and there are takers. And at every single wedding that he officiated, he would say that as long as this couple are givers, they'll be successful. The minute they become takers, happiness is beyond them. The goal in our life, our lives, is to be givers. That's a very interesting thing, is that when a baby is born, and we have give a bris to the baby, or when the girl has her, her baby naming and they have a kiddush, they always say, we always say the same blessing for the young. And that is they should merit to Torah, to chuppah, and ma'asim tovim. The Torah, the study of Torah, to live a life of Torah. Chuppah, to canopy, to find their proper mate, and ma'asim tovim, and good deeds. The order doesn't seem right. Right? It doesn't seem right. First Torah, then good deeds, and then canopy. Sages tell us, you know, when you're when it really counts that the acts of kindness, it counts once you get married. That's when you learn about real kindness. I remember speaking to my rabbi um, many years ago, and we were talking specifically about this trait, and he gave me a trick question as to where is my biggest priority when it comes to kindness. And I, I told him, I, I don't know if this is the wrong answer, I said, but I, I think it's in my home. He says, oh, very good. Now we can continue. Right? People think, oh, I'm going to be a big community person, but neglect my family. I'll help and I'll volunteer and neglect my children. No. Your number one obligation of kindness is with your own family. It says also it should be for yourself first because if you don't take care of yourself and you're unhealthy, you won't be able to help other people. But the goal of every person should be to become a person of kindness for themselves, for their family, and then for the world. Torah, chuppah, ma'asim tovim, reminding us that the chuppah is just the beginning of the good deeds, of the act of kindness. That's when every single day of our lives needs to be. I tell young guys when they're dating and getting married, I said, you have to start thinking in twos. You used to think of yourself, I need one Coke. That's it I need, right? Start thinking in twos. Everything in twos. All right? Find, find out what it is that your significant other likes and make sure that you have plenty of it. Right? She likes a certain drink, so when you go shopping, no such thing, or at least it shouldn't. It shouldn't be that, oh, I forgot, I didn't, I wasn't thinking. No. You have to think in twos. There's another type of kindness. And the other type of kindness doesn't cost you a dime. It's a smile. When you go in, I was once with a friend of mine in the elevator. You know, sometimes you go into an elevator in one of these office buildings and everyone's rushing to work and everyone's all all proper and everyone's this one's holding the newspaper and this one was with their back and now everyone's with their phones. And it was like this like silence in the elevator, like awkward silence. And he says, oh, good day to everyone. And everyone's like, 
Everyone started smiling and laughing. It was like suddenly it changed the whole environment there. It's, you know what? Just a smile. Just a smile can change everything. In fact, it's not only because God smiles to us all day, like he did to me this afternoon, I mentioned earlier. But the smile has unbelievable impact in sales as well. If you're a salesman, learn the art of smiling. Because nobody wants someone who's miserable to be their salesman. You want the smiley, happy person. The person, even if it's just a person who's going to say, have a great day, right? Here, take your bags and go, right? The other person is giving you, it's just a cashier. But one does it with a smile. And in sales, they will say that when a when someone calls a company, I've seen companies do this actually, and they pick up the phone with a smile, and they don't just say, hello, this is, uh, you know, Red Rock uh, Construction, how can I help you? Right? No, no, no. And they pick up with a smile. Pick up with a smile. And you say something special, something unique. So this company I heard say, they pick up the phone, they go, Red Rock Construction, how can we make your day beautiful? Right? Yeah, it's cheesy, but you know what? Everyone smiles and everyone laughs and everyone enjoys doing business with them. That smile is free. It doesn't cost you a dime. And you know what? Every person loves being smiled to. I don't mean creepily, okay? Okay? In, in a genuine way. You're happy to see another person. So, the first task when we talk about kindness is learning what the other person is missing. Now, I, I, we are here, a lot of people in this room. I guarantee you that if you spend three minutes with the person sitting in front of you, behind you, around you, you will find that there's something that they're lacking right now. Right this moment, there's something. It could be a pat on their back. It could be a hug. It could be a compliment. Hey. Okay. Everybody needs something. Everybody needs something. Find out what that is. My grandfather did a a one-week sample with his students on exactly this. He said, I wanted them every day to find a person with which they can identify what their lackings were. Not to fulfill their lackings. Just identify what it is. After one week, the students came back and they said, it's too hard. It was too difficult. Now, let me tell you why. You see, we're very selfish people, human beings. We are very selfish people. I'll tell you why. This is primarily men. I'm a man, so I can talk for myself, right? Very selfish. Okay? Women is not. I'll tell you, I once had uh, um, one of my my children, uh, my wife, went out with some friends and she left me with the little baby who needs to be fed and diaper changed. And I think I'm a pretty attentive father. And I got some of the kids to sleep. And now I have this baby who doesn't stop crying. And I, I don't know what to do. And I, I try to, I try to change the diaper. I was, you know, singing, you know, a lullaby. And I'm feeding it, giving it, giving it, you know, it's, it's baby bottle, giving it its pacifier. Or I, I didn't give it the bottle. I was just trying to pacifier. Right? I was just a pacifier. And I called my wife and said, I'm sorry. I know you're with your friends. I don't want to bother you. The baby is 
not not it's not stopping to cry. I can't figure out what's going on with it. She said, "Oh, he's for sure hungry, for sure thirsty, right? For sure thirsty." And sure enough, gave it the bottle, and it was very happy. Baby was happy. Right? How come I didn't know that? How come I didn't sense that? It's not an instinct that I have developed. I needed to learn. I need to learn to still develop that. Every one of us needs to learn to develop that. But she instinctively knew in one millisecond what it is that he needed. Because she can completely entombed with this baby. Completely aligned. That doesn't mean that men cannot. It just means that we're not as entombed. It's an unbelievable thing. A gift. Now, each of us can develop that, but it takes training. It takes time. It takes effort to, to, to crystallize and perfect this trait. It starts by recognizing that people around you need something. And you know what? Even if you're not able to fulfill it, identify it. What are their lackings? The Chavetz Chaim says that just like Torah, acts of kindness need to be done daily. Torah, we need to learn daily. Acts of kindness, we need to do daily. I'll give you an example. There's a guy who would go every single morning. He was a, a, a shochet, a slaughterer in a factory, in a, in a slaughterhouse, right? And he would come there in the morning and he'd leave in the evening. And he'd come with a whole, with a whole group of, of, uh, you know, it's a shochet. A shochet is a slaughterer, right? A ritual slaughterer. And, uh, you know, every kosher animal needs to be slaughtered properly. And this is in Israel. And he, they'd come in in the morning, they'd leave in the evening, every single day. One day, the owner of the factory is locking up. He locks up, locks up, locks up. As he's leaving, the security guard stops him and he says, you can't leave. So what do you mean I can't leave? He says, I'd locked up. Everything is closed. He says, no, there's someone still there. He says, I checked. There's no one there. He says, someone is still there. And sure enough, they checked the building and in one of the freezers, one of the shochets was there. So the owner tells him, how did you know? How did you know that he was still there? He says, because every single day when he comes in in the morning, he says, good morning. And every single evening, he says, good evening. And I was waiting for my good evening this night, and he didn't give it to me. I knew he was still inside. The power, right? It's an unbelievable thing. Acts of kindness need to be performed daily, just like everything else that we do. The word noten, to give, the word noten, which means to give, is a palindrome. Nun, taf, nun, and it comes back. What you give, you will get in return. There's a story I read today about a man in Israel who ordered a very, very expensive antique clock for $50,000. He's been wanting this clock for a very long time, a very expensive clock, obviously, and he put aside in his safe $50,000. He was waiting many months till it was getting shipped in from probably Switzerland or wherever this clock is being fabricated. And he gets a phone call. 
your clock just arrived in the shores of Israel on the boat and we're ready to deliver it. He says, you know, I'm actually right now in China on a business trip. When I get back, I'll uh, I'll, I'll be ready for, for you to deliver it. Hangs up the phone. A second later, he gets another phone call. What's that other phone call? Other phone call is someone says, you know, there's this family that lives in B'nai Barak. And the family is a young family, several children, and their house had a big fire. And they didn't have insurance. And there's $100,000 of damage. Can you help? Can you help? See, he's thinking, clock or help? (laughs) Clock or help? Going back and forth. Clock or help? What should I do? See, he says, help. Calls him back. He says, sending you $50,000. Three years later, three years later, his son lives in a moshav called Bet Meir. And over Shabbat, there was a fire in that moshav. And after Shabbat, he hears the news of this terrible fire that ravaged the moshav. And the son is unsure he's coming back home after Shabbos to see the damage of what, what happened. And the house next to him burned down completely on both sides. The house behind him on the other street burned down completely. And his house that was owned by his father, not even a bush was burnt. Not even a bush was burnt. And the father says, I know why. Now, obviously, we don't know why, but he said it's because of that $50,000 that I gave to the family that their house burnt down. God is now repaying me. Now, we don't know the exact calculations of God. But there's always when you give, you get back. We don't know how. And sometimes it's the most mysterious ways. And sometimes it's not immediate. And an individual tell me, he says, Rabbi, you know, we learn, the Torah teaches us that you can test God on very limited things. One of them is on your tithe. Someone who tithes can test God that he will get it back in return. An amazing thing. Test God. You can test me, God says. Give charity, you're not going to lose out, ever. So, this friend of mine went with him for a long walk and he says to me, I'll be honest with you, he says, I'm meticulous about my charity. I'm meticulous, he said. Every dollar I earn, I give a tithe plus. Every dollar. He says, last year, I didn't even make back half of it. He says, till now, it's, it's almost exact. He says, last year wasn't even close. So, what do you answer? What do you answer? First is, I don't know, right? I told you, if I don't know, I tell you I don't know. But I said, maybe. I said, how old are you? So I'm 52 years old. 52 years old. I said, how many years have you been giving a tithe? He says, about three years. I said, what happened to the previous 49 years? <laughs> right? Maybe you're doing catch-up. That's a possibility. But number two, but number two, 
Is it possible that God doesn't have to answer you when you want him to answer you? Maybe he's going to answer you next year or in five years or in ten years when you need it much more than now. So this is not a class about charity, but it's the idea that you will never lose out by the kindness that you do. Never, ever, you will never lose out from the kindness that you do. So chesed education, kindness education begins at home. Teaching your children to do acts of kindness. Um, I'm considered a great privilege to be married to my wife. My wife comes up with the greatest ideas. One of her ideas was that, you know, it gets extremely hot in Houston in the summer. Now, in our neighborhood, no one's driving on Shabbos. No one's riding their bicycles on Shabbos. Everyone's walking to shul on Shabbos. And we live in like Grand Central Central Station. So my wife is like, it would be nice if we offered people cold water on a 97-degree hot Shabbos day. So we bought this big, bright orange uh, water uh, water cooler, and every Friday we get a delivery of fresh uh, spring water uh, bottles and a couple of packs of ice, and we put it in the fridge and freezer, and Shabbos morning we put it out in that cooler, and we have cups for it, and people passing by the entire day stop by to get a cold drink of cold water. Now, that's a great act of kindness. But I want to tell you what I think is the best part of this whole thing and the absolute greatest gift. And that is my children are so excited about this that every Shabbos morning when I wake up, they already have everything ready on the kitchen counter prepared because they're so excited. What are they excited for? They're excited so that they can help other people. And that's, to me, the greatest gift of it all, is that hopefully, hopefully, we're able through this act of kindness to teach our children to always be looking out for other people, to teach our children, think about other people, do something nice for other people. That's, that's hopefully the, the, the added benefit, but it needs to be taught. Uh, I'll tell you an amazing story. Anybody ever heard of the Reichmans? The Reichmans were the wealthiest Jewish family. I remember 1986, I believe it was. They were on the front cover of the U.S. News and World Report. The two brothers, Reichman brothers, as the second wealthiest human beings on planet Earth. They're Torah observant Orthodox Jews from Canada. Right, today you have Jeff Bezos and you have all these other uh, Elon Musks of the world, right? But these two brothers were the most incredible uh, people of kindness. I heard this from one of the sons, one of their sons. And he was a young, when I met him, he was probably 26 years old. Young guy. He told me that his father, when he would give charity to rabbis and yeshivas, he'd call him into the room as a little boy. And he would give him a pen and a checkbook. And he'd say, here, fill it out. And he'd say, this and this yeshiva, $100,000. And the child would have to learn to write a check out for $100,000. Like, you have a secretary who can write it out for you. You can write it out for yourself. What are you asking a 12-year-old kid to write it out? He says, because one day you're going to inherit this money. And I want you to know how to give. You need to, it's part of the education of a parent. Teach your child, especially a child that comes from such financial blessing. Teach the child how to give. 
That's something that we can do. If you're giving, and I do this with my children, not the same way, but I, when someone comes, when these people come to our home, I give my child the check. I say, here, give it. I want them to learn. Be a giver. Be a giver. Practice that muscle of being a giver. We have to find ways to do something completely selfless where you have no benefit in return. You know, many times we like to do kindness where I get a return. It's my child's school. So I'm going to do something for my child's school because it's my child's school and I appreciate what they do for me. It was a return. I'll tell you an amazing story. I was here in Houston about 15 years ago, 16 years ago. And I went to Shalom Zacher is the celebration that you have the first night of a baby boy's life. You have, okay, the first, is there many reasons where we can get into it at a different time. So I went to a family's Shalom Zacher. And there's someone who walks over to me. He says to me, are you, are you Walby? I said, yes. He says, oh, I know you. I know your father. For when you, so he says, I remember you when you were a little kid. Thank you. He says, oh, we, we were talking. He says, I need to tell you a story. I've never told this story to anybody. And if your father finds out that I tell you the story, he's also going to be very upset that I tell you the story. He said, I used to come, he has runs an orphanage. Runs an orphanage for girls in Jerusalem. So he'd come to the United States, and the first time he came to the United States on one of these uh, fundraising trips, he didn't know where to go. Where should he go? Where should he stay? He doesn't know anybody in America. Someone gave him my parents' number. He says, call them. They'll have you happily. So he comes, he stays by my parents' house, and they hit it off. And then every year after that, he comes and he stays by my parents' house. So one year, and my father was simple businessman, not not a very uh, uh, not a not a very uh, uh, wealthy man. Uh, always lived a very simple life, still does. And one year, my father gives him a very large check. Very large. So he looks at it and his eyes almost pop out. He says, are you sure you can afford this? He says, no, I'm definitely sure I can't afford it. He says, but I made a promise that if a certain business deal goes through, I'm going to give a large sum of money. I think it was a certain percentage of what he made, which was a lot. I'm going to give it to charity. It was a very large amount. She says, why are you giving it to me? Just give it to your shul, give it to your children's school, give it to something. He says, you know, I'm going to give it to my children's school. The next year, they can call me up and say, oh, we'd like you to be honored. You know, we'd like to, and they go to the shul and they're going to say, oh, we have a big uh, award to give you. It's going to become, he says, your organization is an orphanage. Your organization is in Jerusalem. Hopefully, no, not me and not my family will ever need your institution. I don't want to have any return from this. I don't want it to be a tit for that. I want it to be a completely selfless giving. And don't expect this next year. <laughs> and don't tell anybody that I ever did this. So this happened probably 25 years or more before I heard the story. Of course, you can imagine right after Shabbos, I pick up the phone. 
And I call my father. I'm like, aha, is this true? Is this true? And he says, who told you that story? He was very upset that the story had leaked. But that, I think, is a great example of how we don't give because we benefit. Give selflessly, completely selflessly. You know why? Because God gives selflessly. How many times does God give us and we don't even say thank you? And he keeps on giving. And he keeps on giving. Nonstop. And it's not a, oh, if you, you know, how many times have we had this? Have we seen this? Oh, they, they, they better not ever come ask me for money if that's the way they say thank you. Right? You've heard that before, right? You don't say thank you, you're not getting again. God doesn't say that. God doesn't say, oh, you had lunch yesterday and you didn't say thank you. You're not getting dinner. Doesn't say that. He's gracious. He's kind. He's compassionate. Because God knows he loves us and he knows that one day we'll get it. One day we'll understand. And by emulating God, we learn we learn a little bit of what it means to be great. Learning to be a giver, you will gain an appetite for giving and you'll want to give endlessly. It's such a, you know, I, I know a family. I, I've mentioned this family many times in the past uh, in, in these classes, but it's a family that doesn't know how to survive without giving. It's an, they're such amazing givers. It's an unbelievable thing. Givers and givers and givers. That's it they know how to do is give. So, I recently was in Israel uh, in the beginning of the month of March. I was in Israel to visit my two children who are learning in Israel this year. And it was, it was an, incredible, an incredible trip, very short trip. What an incredible trip. So before I went on this trip, I spoke to a friend of mine in Israel. He says, oh, you're coming from America. Can you do me a favor? I need this and this from Duty Free. They only sell it in Duty Free. Can you please, before you arrive here, pick one up in Duty Free. I'll pay you exactly what, it, what you paid, even more, whatever it is. I just need I need this, this product. Okay, said no problem. Sure enough, I was in Duty Free. I got them what they wanted. And I get there, and I call him up. I say, um, hey, how are you? Where can I drop it off? He says, no, 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 I'll come pick it up from you. So close family friends for many decades, decades and decades. So my parents grew up, my father grew up with, with this whole family. And I bring him the thing. He says, how much is it? Told him. I sent him a picture of the receipt. $171.65. He has an envelope sealed, $171.65. He says, this is for this. So thank you very much. Says, oh, whoa, 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 you're not going anywhere. He says, but this is because I love you. So what was the matter? He says, there's, a, there's a very interesting halacha. Halacha says that you can't charge interest. Jews not allowed to charge interest. Right? You can't overpay. So if he, I paid $171.65, he's not allowed to pay me $172. Yeah. 
They have to pay $171.64, whatever it is. That's what he has to pay. And that's what the halacha teaches us. No, just, just keep it. It's okay. It's, no, 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 no. So this individual works in the Knesset. He works in the Knesset. And he, he bought me and my wife as a gift two items from the Knesset. The official Knesset pen and the official Knesset uh, notebook. I hope it's only truth that goes into that notebook. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, unsavory things that happen in that Knesset. But it, it, it's just... And I said to him, it's not necessary. Please, let me just do... do like, let me... Uh, you can You can keep... No, no. He doesn't know how to see someone and not do an act of kindness to them. He doesn't know. They don't you understand. You understand what that means? I'll, I'll tell you even a more drastic story than this. I shared it here, I think, but please forgive me. Okay, it's an amazing, amazing story. There is a a grandchild from this family was a stillborn baby. And a stillborn baby, you still have to give it a, a bris, and you have to give it a uh, you have to give it a, a funeral and a burial, as you do for anyone else. So it's very sad. It's tragic, right? Listen to what the grandfather did. The grandfather had known that there were two families in that city, in that community, that were in a, a feud for decades. This family and this family, arch, arch nemesis uh, families, they are, you know, okay. Nothing to talk about. See, he calls up the head of one of those families and he says to him, you know, my grandchild was a stillborn baby, about to bury the baby. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, Rabbi. He says, I want you to please come to my house. Okay, sure, whatever you say. He calls the other family and he tells them the same thing. Sure enough, they both show up in the doorstep of the rabbi, and they're looking at each other. Does the rabbi not know? Does the rabbi not know that we don't talk? That we, you know, the rabbi walks out of the house with this baby, lifeless baby, and he turns to the two of them, and he says, this baby has is going back to the world to come not having done a single mitzvah. I want the two of you to make peace and that be the baby's mitzvah. And they made peace. That is the greatest kindness. Someone is in such tragic loss and the only thing he can think about is how can I help someone with this? How can I bring kindness to this world? That even with a tragedy, he can't help himself. He has to do some act of kindness for someone. I will share with you a story. I think I may have mentioned this at the beginning of the previous Masterclass series. But I had my own experience with, with giving. When I came to Israel... I was uh, teaching a class on kindness 
on being a giver. And I realized very quickly that I was far from a giver. I gave a class on it. One of the students giving class to the other students. Why? I came from the United States and, you know, Israel at the time didn't have the import that it does today. This is in the early 90s. And I had my special treats that I brought from America that you can't get in Israel. So I had that in my in my locker, in my in my room. And I'll check the hallways, nobody's there. Room, nobody's there. I'd open up my, my locker, I take my I take my, my stuff, right? My my treats, it close the door, lock it, eat it, nothing happened, wipe my face, and I'm I'm good to go, right? And then I'm thinking to myself, you're the same guy who spoke about being a giver just yesterday. You're such a hypocrite. Right? You're not keeping what you teach. So I said, okay. I made a deal with myself. From now on, in order for me to eat any of my treats, I need to give to two people. So now it was the opposite. I go into the hallway. I'm like, come here. I'm like, what do you want? I'm like, just come here. Just come here. Right? And they'd be like, what do you, what do you want? Right? Like, come here. And I would open the door. Their eyes would pop out to be like, whoa. Right? I'm like, please have some. And that was my gateway to having some myself. It's like if I don't if I don't give to someone else I can't I can't enjoy myself. And what that did to me is it changed my life. It transformed my life. Because it taught me that you always it was like building up this muscle I need to give in order to in order to in order to enjoy from anything. How can I give? And it's not it's not something some people have it naturally. Some people need to learn it. Some people, like myself, you need to, you know, it's like you pick up weights, right? It's not going to be easy the first time or the second time or the third time, but eventually you pick up, you build up muscle. Oh, now it gets easier. Now you can build more. You can do more weights. That's the act of giving. Act of giving is a muscle. You need to work that muscle and work that muscle and work that muscle. And then you get stronger and stronger with it. Even if it makes no sense, practice giving. For what? Practice it. Just give. To always look for opportunities to give. Right? And now, it's an amazing thing. It's a, it, I was once listening to a, a lecture. One of my rabbis was saying such an interesting point. He says, people have a blockage when it comes to money and giving. See, if someone knocked on your door and they looked like a like a presentable person, they didn't look like they were homeless off the uh, un, you know the underpass, right? And they they came to your house and they say, you know, I just uh, I'm sorry I'm 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 coming into your house like this, but you know I haven't eaten in a month, right? <coughs> I, you know, I, and I'm I, I haven't slept slept. I'm just like you take them in, you say here, come, let me give you something to eat. And if you see that they're reliable, they're clean, you know, it's like. It's like, come, let me, let me throw a steak on the grill for you. Let me, let me hear it. Let me give you a beer. Right? It's like, you hope you become kind. Let me take them as a, as a, uh, as an act of kindness. I'll do this for them. Right? Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever done that? My mother's done that. My mother's done that. <laughs> I, I'll share with you a story about my mother. My parents were in Israel. And one of my siblings had a baby. And then another sibling had a baby, 
and my parents had to extend their trip. They ended up coming back <coughs> to back home to New York on a Friday morning. I called my mother, welcome her back home. She's just getting back home. I said, oh, so I'm, I'm sure you're having a quiet Shabbos. She says, quiet Shabbos? We have 18 people this Shabbos. I said, 18 people for Friday night? She says, no, 18 people sleeping in the house this Shabbos and eating every meal with us. I said, can't you take a break? Listen to what she said. I have a quote. She said to me, Hashem gave me the opportunity to do an act of kindness and I'm going to push it off? I'm going to push off the opportunity that God gave me? She has every reason in the world to say, you know what, it's really not a good time. But if you live in the frame of mind that God is giving you an opportunity to do an act of kindness, how can you let go of an opportunity? You know, my father had triple bypass and he was all sedated and finally he starts regaining his consciousness he starts get and he's back in the recovery room and he sees his phone is ringing so he picks up his phone hello yes mr walby i got your number from someone he wants to know I got your number from someone, and I'm coming to New York for treatments. And he told me that you'd be okay with me staying in your home. My father's like, sure, come right over. Right? He didn't tell him, you know, I'm here with tubes in my mouth. And just wait. Right? But that that's because I grew up in a home, really, where my, my parents didn't don't know how to say the word no. And that kindness is is an enormous, enormous gift and an opportunity to hopefully be godlike. To be godlike, to emulate God in everything that we do. So it, to do this, we need to we're, we're going to need to get out of our comfort zone sometimes, because it, kindness doesn't always go by our watch. It doesn't always go how I want to do it. I'll give you an example. Well, I can volunteer for your organization, but only between 2.30 and 3 o'clock on Wednesdays. Well, at 2.30 and 3 o'clock on Wednesdays doesn't work for us, ma'am. So I'm going to find another organization who cares about my, you know, <laughs> that, right? And I mean, you've heard that before, right? Yeah, right? So the idea is that kindness doesn't go by me. Kindness goes by thee. Right? What do you need? What do you need? How can I help you? And to find ways to be there for other people. So, yeah, chesed, we talk about doing acts of kindness. But how do we do those acts of kindness when it doesn't fit my schedule? When it doesn't fit my budget? When it doesn't fit my preference? When it doesn't fit my convenience? There is a special mitzvah to loan someone money. There's a special mitzvah to give charity. But if the person is too embarrassed to take charity, they don't want to hand out. You know what the Torah tells us to do? 
Give it to them as a loan. Give it to them as a loan. They have their dignity saved that they didn't come for a handout. They think it's a loan and never collect it. And that way, it's a charity. Right? Now, I've, I've seen this multiple times where someone came over to me and says, you know, that guy, he borrowed money and never gave me the money. If you would have asked me for the money, I would have given it to him. But he borrowed it and never paid it back. Right? You know what that means? That means that it just wasn't on my terms. Right? It wasn't on my terms. So what's if it's not on your terms? Kindness is not always on your terms. It's the heart that matters. And if we if we really have the right heart, it doesn't need to be on our terms. It doesn't need to be on our terms. So there's another mitzvah, by the way. It talks about loaning that money. It says also, in this week's parsha that we just read, that you shouldn't ha- take revenge, but also you shouldn't hold a grudge. Right? So if someone come, if you go to your neighbor's house and say, do you have a cup of uh, sugar? And they're like, no, I'm not giving you a cup of sugar. I have a cup of sugar. I'm not giving it to you. Okay? A day later, they come to you and they say, do you have two tablespoons of salt? So not ta- not holding a grudge would be the following. Okay? Well, this is what holding a grudge would be, and then we'll see what it is not to. Oh, you want two 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 spoons of two teaspoons, two tablespoons of sugar of salt? I'm gonna give it to you, not like you, <laughs> not like you who didn't give me yesterday. I'm gonna give it to you, right? That's holding a grudge. You're not allowed to do that. Think about that. Why does the Torah tell us not to do that? Because we never know the circumstance of another person. We never know the situation they're in. We never know the challenge they're facing. Don't hold a grudge. They ask you for a favor in return. Oh, he didn't invite me for their child's wedding. I'm not inviting them to my child's wedding. Also, we mentioned this previously, but also giving without expecting returns. Giving without expecting returns. Right? Without the name on the wall, without the recognition, without the big posters and the big notices and with the big announcements and you know, so why does the Torah want us to be givers? Think about this for a second. We talked a lot about being givers. Why does God want us to be givers? It's an amazing thing. It goes a little bit with what, what's going on in, in current events, but we're not going to talk about the current events part. What is really ours? What is really ours? It's not ours. We think that the money that is in my bank account is mine. No. Hashem says, you're just a money manager for me. Because today it's yours, tomorrow it's gone. People think it's me, it's mine, and they relate to it in a way that's very personal. It's mine. Or, you can realize, Hashem gives it to you. So I want you to, I want to, I want you to distribute it for me. Imagine you have a sales distributor. 
you sell uh, uh, boxes of, uh, I don't know, tissues, of tissues. So you manufacture them and you send them to your distributor and he's going to send them out to everybody. He doesn't want to distribute them. I'm keeping them in my warehouse. What are you going to do? Get a new distributor. I didn't ask you to hold on to it. I asked you to distribute them. God sends us to be his distributor. And we say, no, 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 no. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold on to it. Tell you an amazing story. There's a man who's a very, very uh, wealthy businessman from California. And um, he gave a big speech once. And he said, I want you to know something. I, there's a promise that's given in the Torah. There's a promise that's given in the Torah. If you give, you'll get more to give. He says, I don't understand. I have many friends who were very, very successful, who gave a lot of charity. And they didn't get more. They lost their fortunes. That the, is that the promise? Is that the promise? He says, and me... I was wondering, why did God keep on giving me more? So it's a real question to ask. And there are many people who have asked this question. And they've asked it of great rabbis. How come you see people who are wealthy, who are very charitable, and they lost their, their, their wealth? And yet you see other people, they keep on their success, keeps on, keeps on giving. See, he says, I want to offer my own answer. He says, because there are people who do selective giving. They give selective giving. You'll accept my child to your school, I'll give you money. You're, you're going to take my daughter into your school, I'll give you money. Oh, this is the shul my cousin goes to, I'll give you. <laughs> torch in Houston? What do I have to do with Torch in Houston? You don't mean anything to me, right? I'm not giving you anything, right? He says, but there are those who give indiscriminate giving. They don't only give what they get, what, what they receive from. They give to everyone. Because imagine, imagine you had your secretary who gives out the checks for you. You tell them, send uh, 50, $50 to this one, $100 to that one. You tell them who to, who to give out the money to. And then you find out that there are some people that they're not giving to. Because this one Curry's favor with them. And this one helps their, their, their child out. This one helps out their friend. And this, uh, they start playing favorites. Is it their money? It's my money. You don't be, right? You don't be, pick favorites with my money. You don't pick favorites with my money. We are the distributors of the Almighty. Everybody is God's children. Yeah, you can choose some you give more, some you give less. But you give everyone. They're all his children. And it's it's an unbelievable perspective to always, and it's a blessing that we bless people, to always be the giver. Should be blessed to always be the giver. It's, it's a remarkable thing that we're able to give. And giving doesn't always have to be with money. My rabbi, I was once, you know, anyone who's ever been in Israel, you know those buses are, are quite something. Those buses come and go very, very fast. And if you're not at the bus stop at the second that they pull up, you missed it. 
So one time I had a miracle. I was rushing someplace, and the bus, about 50 feet after the bus stop, stopped. Opened the doors, and I ran to that bus, and I made it. Wow. It's like a miracle. It never happens. I get on the bus, and who's on the bus? My rabbi. My teacher was on the bus. Again, he sits me down. He says, I told that bus driver that if he doesn't stop for my student, right? That's my student. You better stop for him. So he stopped. I think that's an act of kindness. Because you know what? And it doesn't cost him anything. It took an extra second, two seconds. But it's thinking about someone else. It's thinking about someone else going out of your own comfort zone to assist someone else. I have a lot of stories I didn't get to. It's interesting that the the Talmud in Tractate Eruvin says an amazing thing. It says that you you can tell about a person in three ways. You want to know? You want to you want to learn about a person? There are three ways. Look at three different qualities, three different actions, and you'll know everything about them. Kiso, their pocket, how they give. Koso, their cup, how they are when they're drunk. Kaso, how they are when they're angry. You want to know a person? Look at how they act. But think of the first one. Kiso. It's not that they give. It's how they give. Look at how someone gives. There are people, there's a guy who comes to me before every holiday. He came to me right before Pesach. He came over to my house. He says, are you busy with anyone? I'm like, no, it's perfect timing. He says, I'll be there in five minutes. Comes over and he pulls out $500 cash and puts it in my hand. He says, I want you to distribute it to someone who needs it. No one should ever know I was here. Doesn't want anyone to know. Just give it out for me. I want someone's Pesach to be special. That we, we, we have the most kind people. You know, Abraham, it's an amazing thing. It says, Vayita Eshel. And he planted an orchard. He had guests coming to his house. Abraham, his tent was open on all four sides. He planted an orchard. Our sages tell us, you know what Eishel means? Eishel means Achila, he gave them to eat. Shtiya, he gave them to drink. And Lina, he gave them a place to sleep. Our sages tell us, no, the Lamed, the third letter from Eishel is for Levia. He walked them out. He escorted his guests out. Our sages tell us, even more so, that if someone doesn't walk their guests out and they're missing that Lamed, What's left? Aish, fire. The risk of danger in their home. So my rabbi asked the following question. He says, I don't understand. You invite someone into your house. You give them to eat. You feed them good food. You give them to drink. You pull out your bourbon. You treat them nicely. You give them good drink. And the only thing that lacks is that you didn't walk them down the block. You didn't walk them out the house. And you're in danger of your house burning down? 
as a punishment for not walking them out? Because instead of having Eishel, it should be a beautiful orchard. You have Eish. Doesn't make any sense. He says such a beautiful thing. He says, when someone comes to your house, I feel embarrassed. I need to come eat by you. I need your handout. I need your kindness. Right? They feel a little bit, I don't want to come to someone else feeding me. Someone else has to provide for me. Not a, not a, not a charity, but it's like a person could feel uncomfortable. But when you walk them out, they're like, wow, he really enjoyed my company. He, want, he wants to spend every extra second with me. So you take the ish, which is the embarrassment that they might feel, and you make it into a beautiful orchard. Now they feel so good. They feel so happy and so comfortable. That, wow, they walked me out. It's not that your house, God forbid, will burn down. It's that you're taking away that embarrassment. That's also an act of kindness, a small little act of kindness. So, I want to finish with one more story. So, my wife's cousin, I believe their last name is Eichenthal, is like a second cousin. They have like 18 children. They have this massive house in Borough Park. And they built their entire house so that they can host many people. And of course, they have many children. But their whole basement is a guest house for people who collect charity. People come from Israel and they're collecting from many institutions. And they have a place, uh, it's a week, two week, three week. As long as they need, they have a room in their basement. Everyone has their own room. One time, Mr. I believe Eichenthal, I think his name is, was walking in his own basement. He was just passing, passing through. One of the guys stops him. He says, he says, do you think they're going to throw me out? I've been here for like three weeks already. Like, do you think they're going to throw me out? Not knowing that he's speaking to the man of the house. See, he says, I don't know. I've been here for like 20 years. They didn't kick me out yet. <laughs> so there's there's a lot a lot that we can continue talking about this. We can talk so much about that. I have I have like 30 40 pages here, but I want to I want to just leave off with one more note, okay? And this is th- that point that we mentioned that Hashem wants us to understand that not everything is ours. I once got a phone call from a man. He says to me, Rabbi, and as many of you know, I I have the privilege of being responsible for this organization, Torch, and part of that responsibility is raising funds for it. So I get a phone call from an individual. He says to me, Rabbi, I have a check waiting for you in my office. It's not a call I get very frequently. But he says, I have a check waiting for you. So I said to him, I said to him, wow, thank you so much. It's so kind, like, what what happened like that suddenly you're calling me like you know it's like what's going on? and we're good friends but he's like I'm like what happened that you decided to call me on a random Tuesday and tell me I have a check waiting for you says Rabbi God has given me so much blessing God has given me so much blessing I feel that it's not fear that I don't give more so I said thank you so his response was if it were mine, you wouldn't get a dime. <laughs> he says, but it's God's. 
It's God's. And I think it's such a healthy attitude. It's such a healthy perspective for someone to realize everything we have is a gift from Hashem. Let's utilize it to bring a smile to someone else. To do an act of kindness means to be selfless. means to not only think about me. I have been in this body my entire life. And I know when this body is tired. I know when this body is hungry and thirsty. I know it. But do I know when this body does and when this body does? No, I don't. And that's what we need to learn when we do chesed. We have to be in tune to other people. Someone might be thirsty. Let's get them a drink. They don't have to beg. They don't have to ask. We, if we're finally in tuned, we'll know what other people need. Women have this naturally. It says that the woman understands her, her guests. The women understand their guests. She'll know right away. The woman will know. The man is like, yeah, busy with other things, right? I don't know. The woman will have that, that, that sense. To, no. They're thirsty. They want more to drink. They want another another portion of that. Because they're in tune to that. They're, they're gifted with that. Men need to learn this. And this is the this is the number one job of any married man. And as a humanity, this is our job to be thinking about other people. So Hashem should bless us all to have the ability, the strength and the compassion to always be giving to everyone around us. Amen. You've been listening to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, a Torch production. Become a supporter at torchweb.org because your assistance enables more Torah learning around the globe. To find more lessons offered by Torch, please visit torchpodcasts.com.